what Advent is, is it's a time, not just our church, but the global church, takes the four weeks leading up to when we celebrate Christmas and we orient our hearts around the fact that we have access to the living God because Jesus came. And what the Advent box does is it, it's going to kind of help you take what we're talking about here and bring it into your own time with God. There's a devotional in there. Um, they, it's oriented if you've got kids. We've got a family box where you can bring this into your family time because we are hoping and our desire is that we leave this Christmas season more in love with Jesus than ever before because we have access to hope because Jesus came. Can I get an amen? We have access to the gift of joy, hello, because Jesus came. We have access to peace. We have access to the unending, unexplainable love of God because Jesus came. And that's what Advent is all about, just saying, God, wow, because you came and because you are coming again, we have hope and we have joy and love and peace and, uh, you know, I want to start with our anchor passage for this entire series, which is Luke 2. This is Jesus' birth announcement uh, to the earth. If you have a Bible, I want to encourage you to open it up, grab it. If you don't have one, we want to give you one. Um, and if you want to use your phone, go for it. No one's going to think you're texting. We're going to start in Luke 2, verse 8. This is what the Bible says. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over the flocks at night. And an angel of of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you, and he is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angels, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. And when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. Today, the title of my talk is Hope That Swallows Up Fear. Hope That Swallows Up Fear. Uh, A few years ago, uh, Liz, my beautiful wife, and I were in an airport coming back from speaking in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We were speaking at the Antioch Church that's in Baton Rouge, and it was a quick trip. Kind of flew in one day, flew out the next day. We were kind of just in that kind of zone of just let's get out of here. And walking towards me as I'm walking towards the gate is Marcus Luttrell. Now, if you don't know that name, you must not be an American. Okay, not, not really, but maybe. 
Marcus Luttrell, there's a movie made about him called The Lone Survivor. How many of you heard of that movie? How many of you heard of that book that was written about him, The Lone Survivor, right? If you don't know anything about him, here's the quick story. Him, three of his other Navy SEAL buddies were doing a mission in Afghanistan. Everything that could go wrong went wrong, and he was the, guess what, lone survivor, hence the name of the movie. I had read the book. I had watched the movie. I had read so many other things. I was like, whoa. And when I saw him, I was like, no way. This can't be actually Marcus Luttrell walking towards me. And now, you know, there's this thing that happens when you read a lot about somebody and you've seen a lot of interviews with them. You kind of feel like you know them, right? And so I walked up to him with confidence. It was like, Marcus! And he looked at me like, yo, are we friends? He quickly realizes, I don't know who you are. And I stick out my hand and I'm like, sir, you know, thank you for your service. And, and I, I kid you not, I have never been greeted with more hatred in someone's eyes, more ice cold body language, more like, I can't believe you said hi to me vibes than I ever have in my life until that moment meeting Marcus Latrell, okay? So I am like, we le- I shake his hand. I'm like, whoa, that was uh, not cool. And, and we're walking towards our gate. And as we're walking towards the gate, my wife goes, hey, I've got an idea. Our son, Tate, what's up, Tate, has always wanted and still does want to be in the special forces in the military. And he, and, and he is like all about it. And Liz goes, we should have Marcus write Tate a note. Okay? And I'm like, absolutely, 100% not. Like, I am not going up to this man ever again in my life. There is no chance I'm walking back up to him when he already looked like he was going to kill me, and he can, and say, excuse me, sir, (laughs) would you write a note for my son, which, hashtag, he's probably going to think, write a note for you. <laughs> and I'm like, no, this is not going to happen. No, ma'am. No. No, 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 no. And she busts the judo move on me. She says, okay, well, then I'll do it. Well, now that can't be the story. No, the, the story cannot be, hey, Dad, you remember when you were so scared to meet Marcus Luttrell that Mom went... And got this really cool note for me that I hang on my wall and read every day to be inspiration. That can't be the, that, no. So now I have to do it. Right? And so I get the little notepad and I'm just like, oh my gosh, this is going to be brutal. You know, like, uh, and so I, and he, I see him walk into like the little bar that they have, you know, the little mini restaurant. If you've been to Baton Rouge, there's like one place you can eat, you know. And he walks in there. And so I'm like, ah, oh. so I get the yellow pad. And, and he's sitting with his back facing me, okay? Already, this is not how it needs to go. He doesn't see me coming, right? So I'm standing back, you know, like three to four feet. And I'm like, uh, ex- excuse me, sir, um, I really hate to do this. That's what I said. And I kid you not, he turns and looks at me with daggers in his eyeballs and says, then don't. At that point, a little pee right? Like I lost all, I was like, I'm dying. Baton Rouge is where I will be laid to rest. 
this is it, right? And so I'm like, oh my gosh, sir, so sorry. And I turn to walk away, and then I feel death grip on the arm. Boom. And I'm like, huh? <laughs> and I turn, and I see him smiling, being like, oh, I'm just messing with you. And he was like, come have a seat. So I sat down, and we ended up hanging for like 10, 15 minutes, talking, having a great time. Writes this incredible note to Tate, you know, encouraging him to never quit in life. Super cool dude. In fear, almost stopped me from having one of the coolest moments I have ever had in my life. And guess what? That's exactly what fear does to us. Fear will try to stop you from stepping into all that God has for you. Fear has this ability to, to pump the brakes on your excitement, to pump the brakes on your expectation, to, to pump the brakes on your hope. Because fear is telling you that the worst possible case scenario was going to happen to you if you actually do this thing that is inside of you. And I love that one of the first things that the angels said to these shepherds was, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. God was like, hey, I knew when you showed up to work today, your expectation was not the heavens opening up over you. Angels starting to talk to you, choirs of angels singing to you, declaring to you that the Messiah, the promised one, is now come to save the world, not to condemn the world. Are you with me? Right out the gate as the shepherds were disrupted and disruption in life causes fear. And the shepherds were minding their business and now the heavens depart. God is speaking through angels to them. They're like, whoa, are you seeing this, homie? Yeah, I'm seeing it. Are you seeing it? And they're freaking out. And from heaven, the first thing that is said is do not fear. We come with good news. We come with good news. And that good news, the good news of the coming of Jesus, the Messiah, the good news of who Jesus is, disrupts the fear in our lives. These are scary times that we live in. Chaos and turmoil all over the place. Actually, Jesus even says some of these things in Matthew 24, verse 6. He says, you're going to hear of wars and rumors of wars. But see it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nations will rise against nations and kingdoms against kingdoms. Does this sound like what we're seeing today? And there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. And all things are be the beginnings of birth pains. The earth is in turmoil. 
The earth is in turmoil. Look, I don't know if we're at the end. But here's what I do know. That we're one day closer today to Jesus coming back than we were yesterday. The Bible says that no one knows the time or the place, regardless of what the books they're trying to sell you says. Nobody knows. But what we do know is that we're one day closer to Jesus' triumphal return to the earth. Mark 13 verse 24 says this about that day. But in those days, following that distress, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give light. Sounds like spectacular hunting conditions. The stars will fall from the sky. Heavenly bodies will be shaken. And at that time, people will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. Jesus is telling us in Mark 13 that even in the days that are dark, even in the darkest days, Moments, our hope is not in what is or isn't happening around us. Our hope is in the one who is coming for us. My favorite definition of hope is the confident expectation of good. The confident expectation of God. And I, I think this is in part why the holidays can be so hard. I think this is why the holidays get a little complicated because everything we see and hear for the next month is all about how this is the season when the hard things in your life just magically go away. Right? Like this is, this is the time of year when everything that's not working in your life just suddenly starts working. Like, right? Like the hope in the holidays is like maybe, just maybe this is the year my family's going to come back together again. And even though my dad works day in and day out, day out writing kids' books all day, that this is the Christmas that he tells his boss, I quit, and you find out that your stepbrother really is an elf. <laughs> right? Like maybe this is the year that the guy that you've had a crush on that you haven't actually talked to is going to slide into your DMs, or maybe you will be able to save him from being hit by a train to fall in love with his brother. <laughs> right? Like, maybe this is the year when you're going to just happen to get into the same taxi cab with your soulmate and you just never leave each other's side and you just drive off into the sunset, right? That's what the holidays sells us. That's like what, that's what the holidays are just like pumping at us all day, every day, that it doesn't matter how hard your life was, all you need is some Christmas dust. And the magic of the season is going to heal the brokenness in your life. And that's why, like, year after year after year after year, we all leave a little disappointed on January 2nd. Because we realize that, oh, wait, actually, 
what I'm hoping to happen didn't happen again. And there's actually a, a term for this in the counseling community. It's called the post-holiday blues. It's a thing. It's become a cultural thing because we all collectively realize as a world that we have put our hope in the wrong thing. We, 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 we've put our hope in things that are falling a little short. What we thought was going to happen didn't happen. The magic we were hoping to take over our lives didn't quite take over. And you're left in January going, (laughs) I'm kind of right where I was in November. And I'm a little bummed because I really thought that this December, man, was going to be a little different. The first year that Liz and I planted uh, the church that we were able to start in Seattle, Washington. This was in the early 2000s. That first year, I was at the gathering of, of church planters, and I was kind of the new kid on the block. And they were asking me, bro, like, how are you doing? And I was like, dude, I'm doing great, man. I'm encouraged. I'm excited. And they said, you know what? Year one always feels good. But year two, when you are thinking that all the heart of year one is just going to go away, and now year two, everything's going to start getting easier and better, and then it doesn't. That's when your hope is going to be tested. And guess what? They were right. They were right. Proverbs 13 says it this way, hope deferred makes the heart sick. The message translation of that verse says this, unrelenting disappointment leaves you heartsick. Unrelenting disappointment. That nails it, right? Unrelenting disappointment. This sickness of hopelessness that comes with just unrelenting disappointment in our lives. It hits us when what's stressing us out and what's squeezing us out gets to the point of no return. When, when you hit the point where you're like, I, I, I could have handled it when it was here, but now the situation is really dire. When you hit that point where there's like nothing that you can physically do that's going to change what you're going through and it starts feeling like free fall. Am I talking to anybody who's encountered hopelessness in their life where you start feeling like you're in free fall? What you're going through is overwhelming you. And when that happens, it's evidence for us that we've put our hope in the wrong thing. Because the hope of Jesus does not disappoint us. The hope of Jesus is is unmoving. And there's a moment in scripture where Jesus walks up to a mother who finds herself in free fall. She finds herself in a terrible situation. Her only son has died. I personally can't imagine the horror of of burying a child. I I can't imagine it. I I actually, unfortunately, have been close friends of people who've experienced it. And even being close to it, it's like a suffocating level of pain. I I mean, it, it really tests you. That free fall of what now? Why? 
is real and it's heavy and it's, it's difficult to navigate through it. But to make the situation for this woman that Jesus runs into even more hopeless, she was a widow. So it wasn't just the pain of losing her son. It was the fact that now no one was going to be providing for her, fighting for her, caring for her, supporting her. Her situation was hopeless. In the moment of the funeral, there's no way that she was thinking about it because she was just probably consumed with the grief of it. But the fact is, is there was a huge question mark waiting for her. After everyone went home that day, now what? Now what do I do? Where do I go? How do I live? And Jesus sees this death march of hopelessness happening. And this is what the Bible tells us happens in Luke 7, verse 12. It says, as he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out. The only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, say saw her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her and he said, don't cry. And then he went up and he touched the beer. Now, this is not a beer that you drink. Don't go touch someone's beer. But this is a beer that is a mat. That was a joke. You can laugh in church. And when he went up and touched the beer, they were carrying him on. The bearers stood still, and he said, Young man, I say to you, get up. And the dead man sat up and began to talk. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. Verse 16, And they were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. What a moment. It's one of those moments when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask if I can see the DVD special features of that <laughs> moment. It must have been pretty crazy to be in the crowd and to experience this man walking up and interrupting a funeral procession and declaring to this guy who was dead to come back to life. And then he does. And what has been lost is restored. What an incredible moment. And I think there's a couple of things for us to lean into in this story that will help us. Have some tools, if you will. To be able to work our way back into a confident expectation of good, regardless of the challenging situation that's testing our hope. The first thing, number one, first point that will help us fight 
for a confident expectation of good in our life. First point is this, verse 13, he saw her. Jesus saw her. You're not invisible in your pain. You are not invisible in your pain. To feel hopeless is to feel invisible. And it's amazing how they go hand in hand, right? That we're in those free fall moments, no matter how many people are around you, hopelessness will tempt you to begin to say the phrase, does anyone see me? Does anyone see me? Does anyone see what I'm going through? Does anyone see the pain that I am in? Hopelessness will create this thought in us that what we're going through, no one else on the earth has ever gone through. Have you, have you felt this? You go through something hard, you're like, no one has ever dealt with debt before, ever. <laughs> Regardless that everyone has, right? You're going through loss, right? Look, I have teenagers. You go through a breakup, it's convincing them this is going to happen a hundred more times. <laughs> no, you don't get it. You're like, no, you don't get it. Right? Like what you're going through, you think, you think like when you're in hard, when you're in hopeless, you think no one else has experienced what I'm experiencing right now. Because hopelessness is trying to drive you into isolation. Hopelessness is trying to pull you away from your support system of the community that's around you so that your hopelessness can encounter confident expectation of good that even though you don't understand what you're going through, that there's a God that still loves you. Yeah, I've never had one of my kids be like, Dad, 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 don't watch this. <laughs> never heard that one time. What I hear all the time is, Dad, Dad. I can be like this far from them. Dad! You're like looking at them. Dad! Dad! And you're like, it's like they're waiting for you to go, what? And it's always with, hey, did you see that? Can I show you this? Can you watch this? Right, like we... We want to be seen. We're, we're hardwired to be seen. And this is why the enemy will use hopelessness to make you feel invisible. Because if you feel like no one is seeing you, then he can begin to manipulate you to think that God doesn't see you. But you are not invisible in your pain. I remember Sophie, this is years and years ago. Sophie, our oldest daughter, she had a, a ballet recital. And this is my only complaint as a parent is that these different sports teams, dance companies, it's like they really order everything around the fact that they think that you have nothing else to do in your life but show up to their thing. So they'll like wait until 24 hours before the largest dance recital in the history of America to tell you, by the way, next weekend, dance recital. You're like, really? Did, no more on-ramp to that? 
All I get is seven days to rearrange everything. And now Liz and I, we prioritize being at our kids' stuff. Okay, that's a big thing for us. We want to be there, want to be in the crowd. And they actually hate it because I cheer super loud, but I know they actually love it. <laughs> All right? And, and I'm like obnoxious about it. And they're like, Dad, can you please stop? I'm like, never. <laughs> because it's my job. My job is to cheer you on. I don't give a dump about the Kelly Lane Knights, but I care about you. Right? And so we had a moment where I was scheduled to speak somewhere that happened like months and months and months before. Then we find out, oh, the dance company wants to put this ballet recital on this day. Of course, it's the same day as this thing that's been planned for forever. I can't get out of it. We try to change flights. It can't happen. So I'm having to tell Sophie, Sophie, I'm so sorry. I'm not going to be able to be there. And it's like, she's devastated. I'm devastated. Everyone's crying. I feel like a failure. And then she looks at me and she says, Dad, when I see you watch me, it gives me courage. <laughs> but isn't that so just like perfect? It's like when, when your dad, when your parent, when anyone watches you and they're watching you, man, it gives you courage. It's so true. That there's courage with, that comes with being seen. And Jesus saw this woman. He saw her heart. And when he saw her, he, his heart went out to her. And he said, look, I, I am not going to allow this death, this hopelessness to continue in your life. I'm here to disrupt your hopelessness and give you hope. And he reaches out and he touches her son's mat and he says, get up. And God does the impossible and brings her son back to life. And with one touch, hope explodes into a hopeless situation. But it started with Jesus seeing her. If you want to have confident expectation of good, regardless of what's happening around you, you have to know that Jesus is Watching you. He sees you. Point two, that will move us from hopelessness to hope. Jesus has come to meet you in your pain to restore what has been stolen from you. Jesus has come to meet you in your pain to restore what has been stolen from you. Romans 8, verse 28, Paul tells us this, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. God works all things for the good of those who love him. When our hope is in who God is, and hear me, and not what we hope God does. When our hope is in who he is and not what we hope God does, we can hang on to him even when we don't understand what's happening around us. Your hope is not affected by your why 
question. When your hope is in who God is and not what you hope God does, you can still say, God, I don't understand why my mom is sick. I don't understand it. I don't understand why my husband left me. I don't understand why my kids are lying to me. I don't understand why I lost my job. But when your hope is in who God is and not what you hope God does, those God why questions don't have to shake your hope. They can actually be places that strengthen your faith. Because God makes all things work together for the good of those who love him. Even though we don't understand what's happening, we can still have confident expectation that God will work all things for good. Romans 5 verse 1 says this, Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings when it's hard. When we're saying, God, why? I don't understand. I don't get it. We can glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. And perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Oh, come on, somebody. Some versions say hope that will not disappoint. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. So even in the dark places of life, even in the places of suffering, even in the questions in our pain, there is hope for us because God is with us. God is with us. Our hope is in him and him alone. And, 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 and if your hope is in anything but him, then you'll be disappointed. You'll have unrelenting disappointment, which will lead to the heart sickness of hopelessness. But when we have a confident expectation in the goodness of God, when we say, God, you are good, our hope is in you, I don't understand why everything is happening around me, but I do understand that you are good to me. I can have a confident expectation of good in a hopeless situation because my hope is not in what I see. My hope is in the God who sees me. We hope in who God is. We don't hope in what we think God might do. We we don't hope in the magic of the season. Our hope is in the God who has come to save us, to heal us. But here's really where I want us to land today. Luke 7, after he's turned this hopeless situation upside down, Now the dead is literally alive in front of this town. It says in verse 16, 
They, speaking of the people that saw it, were all filled with awe and praised God. And they said, a great prophet has appeared among us. God has come to help his people. Hear me. God has come to help his people. Let me say that again. God has come to help his people. God has come to catch Yeti cups as they roll down the aisle. You know it wasn't a Stanley because it didn't have the, you didn't hear the tinkling. I got three girls in my house. I know the different cups, okay? We got a lot. We have a whole cabinet dedicated to cups, okay? God has come to help his people. So over this place in your story that feels lost, the place in your story where it feels like all hope is gone, hear me, God has come to help his people. Stand to your feet with me. God has come to help his people. And if you're here and you find yourself standing in a place of hopelessness, standing in a place of fear, standing in a situation that feels like it's a mountain that is too big, it's a situation that's too complicated, it's a pain that is too deep, the division is too far, God has come to help his people. We want to pray for you that you would encounter the God of hope. The God who has come to help you, to put in you, to to bestow upon you a confident expectation of good because God works all things together for our good. So right now, some of our leaders would just begin to make their way down. You know who you are if you're a life group leader, if you're an elder, if you like to pray for people, just start coming up. Because we want to pray for you. If you feel that you're in a hopeless situation, we want to pray for you that the God of hope would encounter you. And maybe you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus. You've never surrendered your life to the living God. And so therefore you are experiencing the desperation, the unrelenting disappointment of hopelessness in your life because you've never even met the God of hope. If that's you, Jesus has come to save you, not to condemn you, to love you to restore you. And the Bible says that all we have to do is confess with our mouths and believe in our hearts that Jesus is who he says that he is, that he did what he said he was going to do, that he died on a cross and rose from the grave, making a way for the gap of our sinfulness and God's righteousness to be closed by the grace displayed to us on the cross. If you've never said yes to Jesus, today is your day. 
And in a minute, as people are going to begin to come forward, I want you to come forward with them. And I want you to come to one of our amazing team members here and say, I want to know Jesus today. And they're going to love you and they're going to talk to you and they're going to pray for you. And they're going to start walking with you on this incredible journey of seeing your life start to orient around the God of hope. So as I pray and as we sing, if you need prayer, just begin to come on up. God, we love you. We're thankful for your grace. We're thankful for the fact that we can hope in who you are. We can hope in the beauty of grace. And Lord, right now I pray for every heart that's overwhelmed in a hopeless situation that they would meet the God of hope today in a fresh, powerful way and experience the confident expectation that you, the living God, turn all things for good. In Jesus' name, amen.